So Money episode 889, Ramona Ortega, founder and CEO of Mi Dinero, Mi Futuro. My money, my future. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Money has always been something that you struggle with, right? I always, I always say money wasn't something that we managed in our home. It was something we didn't have, right? And so when we, when we talked about money, it was always from a deprivation um, place. It was always about how do we get more? How do we hustle with what we have? Our guest today is Ramona Ortega. She is the founder and CEO of My Money, My Future, Mi Dinero, Mi Futuro. It's a mission-driven financial technology company that empowers Latinas to manage their money with confidence. And the company creates culturally relevant financial content that connects their audience to curated financial products. You know, one of the most important aspects of personal finance is that it's personal. There's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all approach. And that's especially true when it comes to teaching different communities and cultures about personal finance. Ramona is making waves in the world of personal finance by helping the Latino community gain access Access to important financial education. She built the company as a solution to an overarching problem in our community, which is the fact that the community doesn't have access to quality and trustworthy financial advice. Through her grit and determination, she built the company step-by-step, fundraising, applying to accelerators, overcoming numerous obstacles along the way. Ramona and I talk about, as you just heard, her childhood, growing up poor, her role as a single mother and entrepreneur. How does she do it all? Here's Ramona Ortega. Ramona Ortega, welcome to So Money. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to finally be on this podcast. Been a big fan of yours for a long time. So this is going to be a great conversation. Once I learned about what all that you're up to, I was like, got to have you on the show. Got to have you come through Stack's house. You're the CEO and founder of My Money, My Future. And forgive my Spanish, Mi Dinero, Mi Futuro. Yes. I studied, I studied French in school, so this is uh, my best Spanish accent. That's good enough. It was great. Thank you. And this is really a mission-driven financial tech company that empowers Latinas to manage their money with confidence. And your background is actually law. So let's start with the pivot. What transitioned you to this startup? What was the impetus? Sure. Um, Yeah. So even law school was actually a pivot from my previous career. I spent about it was 12, 13 years doing international human rights work. And I was actually working in the policy realm I, and, and, and particularly around the issues of economic justice, um, gender justice, and sort of those intersections. So I worked on the Convention on Elimination of Racial Discrimination. So I think it, it squarely sets me up to be doing the work that I'm doing now. And when I was doing that work, I realized at a meeting um, on finance that 
all of the sort of um, men on the other side of the table were the ones wielding power. And it was because they're the ones with the deep pockets. And I said to myself, we have to change this. If we're going to make big change, we have to also understand how money flows. We have to understand how capital markets work and how this really um, sort of results in the kinds of policies that we want to see and change that we want to see in the world. And so I decided at that point to go to law school. And my, my point was like, I was like, I'm only going to take corporate law classes. <laughs> I'm going to focus all I can on understanding, uh, right? Well, understanding the money, not even taking down, but really just being at the table. I wanted us to be at the table. And, and so I did that and I ended up, um, my first year I worked um, in chapter 11 bankruptcy restructurings of very big companies um, in the Southern District. And that was an amazing experience because you really see the full life cycle of a company. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that because that was actually part and parcel of some of the work that I'm doing now around um, shame and money. And then I ended up going to work with the SEC um, in the asset management unit and that was right after Dodd-Frank. So it was a great time to be there because it was really when people were starting to look at how do you regulate hedge funds and private equity funds. And so I got a really good sort of um, look at how money was moved around. How do you make investments? Who was making them? What vehicles were they using? And I realized that all of these things, they're not complicated, but there's a lot of moving pieces. And so I started thinking about sort of, you know, why, why didn't I have this kind of wealth? Like, why do I not see women, um, people of color, like even in this, in working in that world, I just didn't see that many of me represented. Like, and so I started asking myself, like, why was it that we weren't represented? Why, wh why didn't we have hedge funds? Why were we not sitting at these tables, um, with large amounts of money essentially? And I thought, okay, what would I have told my 20 year old self, right? Because I've been working forever. I started working when I was probably like 13, 14 years old, cleaning houses, cleaning offices. So I've made money. I know how to make money, but some, somewhere along the way, I didn't get the information that I needed um, clearly to, to build wealth. And so I started working in litigation. Um, we worked on, um, Madoff, I'm probably familiar with him, and um, so worked in the securities litigation for a couple of years. And I started talking to women in my cohort, other Latinas who were lawyers, and I would ask them what they were doing with their portfolios and how they were managing their money. And overall, the, the sort of answer was, oh, I don't know anything about that, or I don't take care of that, or I think, I, I mean, I put money in my retirement, but I don't really watch it. And so I thought, wow, how interesting that this, you know, some of the smartest women I know have this sort of confidence gap around money. And it was at that point where it kind of clicked to me. And I said, you know what, why don't I do, you know, a newsletter that's focused on sort of my community of, of women. Um, at that, at that point in time, we were focused on like Latino women, but we've actually now pivoted to more of a multicultural audience. Um, but we decided that we would start with a newsletter. And then when we had an event, we had a very big event in LA, we had 250 women come out on a Saturday for a financial boot camp, And it was that aha moment where I said, this is more than a newsletter. This is actually like something people are hungry for this information and we need to build something that is curated around their very particular needs as women of color. And that's when 
I um, started to pivot and I left in 2016. I left the firm and um, launched My Money, My Future. That's quite the turnout, 250 people on a Saturday. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You mentioned about you know a lot of the sort of little things that keep us um, behind, behind getting ahead with our finances. And one of them, I think, especially for women, is the emotional, just the, the emotions around money and the cultural um, influences that we have. I think there are stories that we grow up in our heads, things that tell us we're not good with money. Money's a man's domain. Um, you shouldn't have to worry about money or money's too complicated. And so what are some of the cultural influences that you discover within your community, in particular with Latino women? What are the um, kind of like false stories that they're harboring that's keeping them from from being confident? You mentioned the confidence gap. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that's really important and one of the reasons that we actually pivoted to sort of encompass women of color generally was that black and Latino communities have a long history of, of real structural discrimination in terms of money, right? So redlining, um, credit, you name it, right? So we know that that exists and we know that there's a huge racial wealth gap. So for our communities, money has always been something that you struggle with, right? I always, I always say money wasn't something that we managed in our home. It was something we didn't have, right? And so when we, when we talked about money, it was always from a deprivation um, place. It was always about how do we get more? How do we hustle with what we have? And so I think, you know, when I look around, uh, one of the things that came up for me and I'm working on um, sort of an, a book right now that's focused on shame and money and it's no shame in the money game, a broke girl's guide to building wealth. And that is really about like, how do we take those things that we, those markers that we've heard, which is, you know, you're not budgeting. Basically, you're poor because you don't know how to spend your money the right way. You don't know how to save. You don't know how to do, you know, you spend too money on, on things that you don't need. So there's a lot of shaming from the outside world around how poor people spend their money or don't or seemingly don't know how to save or manage their money. If you have shame and then you have no education, that's a double whammy. That's exactly right. So, for example, a lot of women that I've spoken with, um, I asked them about their, their retirement and their match. So many people from our communities don't take the match because they're embarrassed to ask about what it is. They, they, they kind of know, but they're, they're embarrassed to ask questions. And that's a cultural thing, right? So they're like, oh, I don't want to feel stupid. I don't want to feel like I don't know, especially since I'm in this job and I want to feel smart and I want to feel empowered. And so they don't ask and then they don't take advantage of so many things. Even in bankruptcy, I sort of circling back, what I realized is that so many companies restructure their debt in Chapter 11. This is just part of their sort of long term um, financial plan. Right. This is just how things are done. And yet. So many families are shamed when they file for Chapter 7, which is personal bankruptcy. It was like, you didn't manage your money, you didn't pay your bills. And it's, so it's interesting to see how the system can work for some people and there's not shame involved with it, but for others there is. And I think that's key is understanding how it works and then being able to use the sort of tools that are out there and the products that are out there to work for you. And that's the, that's the learn, you know, learn what the products are and then take advantage of the benefits of them. What has been a money mindset that has helped you navigate your financial life, given also that you are a member of this community? 
Yeah. Um, I think one of the first ones was not having shame. Once I understood the sort of, you know, what, what it, were the mistakes that I made and why did I make them? I felt less guilt about them and then was able to be more empowered to fix them. So that's really key, right? So I was, okay, I get it. I screwed up. I had terrible credit and there's a lot of reasons why that happened. And, but now I'm going to fix it. And so I think that one of the key things for me was there's always a reset button with money, right? You can always fix it. You can always go back and say, okay, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to this next year or this next month or this next week, I'm going to be better with my money. I'm going to figure out how I want to prioritize my spending. I want to make more money. And then changing my, I think changing sort of my, uh, sort of understanding that around abundance, um, because I grew up poor, because there was deprivation, I always felt like, oh, there's not enough. There's not enough. I have to go and I have to work a million jobs. So I'm never poor again. Right. And that, that actually, we see that now with a lot of women of color, especially around the side hustles. So we're not like, it's not about leaning in. We're leaning in so far that we're like falling over. We've got five different side hustles. We have a job, we have kids. And I think a lot of that has to do with like, I have to get money. I have to get mine. I have to make sure that I don't go backwards. And so part of it is, really realigning your time and your worth with like abundance and being like, okay, what is it that I need to make to make me feel safe and sound and to, to not feel like I'm running myself to the ground? So here's a really big question. And I don't think that we all have the answer yet, which is why it's still complicated. It's that, so you've got two forces at play or rather two recommendations Uh, two schools of thought. On the one hand, there's the school of thought that if you're financially behind, that it's, it's the system's fault. And, you know, taking on personal accountability only works to some extent. Then there's the other school of thought, which is that, what are you going to do? Wait for the system to change. You control your financial destiny, get with the program, hustle, work, get literate, all the things. I'm more leaning towards that second school of thought, which is that, you know, I want to still hold institutions accountable and I want to still, you know, have that conversation and that debate. But I think that to tell individuals that there's a limit to how much you can personally improve your financial life, I don't think that's true. I think that we have more control than we think. And I want to empower people to believe that and to mobilize people to do that. We are about empowerment, education, transparency, and and giving people the resources and tools that they need to do the right thing, right? For their families and their communities. And I think, so it's not an either or. Um, I think that we have to recognize that there's structural imbalance. I mean, we're talking about, there is a huge racial wealth gap there are so I mean you know so there are things that are in particular to our communities that we have to do to help solve that and that's actually why I started the company I worked for many years on the policy side things like the baby bonds things like uh, the way sort of minimum wage so there were a lot of things on the policy side that need to get done and and you know and hopefully they'll get done but there's What I decided was that, well, there's a lot of things that you can do on the personal level, right? And this is going back to what you're saying. There are things that I can do to make my situation better, to plan better, to things like life insurance. I'm a single mom. I bought life insurance early on because I was like, if if I don't leave anything to my son, at least I leave this, 
Right. And that was a very distinct decision about how can I start to build wealth in my family? And so I think though it's not an either or I, but I think it's a recognition because when we don't, at least I think in communities of color, when we don't recognize that, we feel like you're like, you're judging me. And yet you're not recognizing that all these other things are also at play. We can't not have a conversation about what needs to happen in order for there to be financial equality. If we're not going to include all the players, right? It's not just the individual, but it's, it's institutions. It's our society, it's cultural expectations and cultural influences and, and all of that. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not either or. What would you say, Ramona, was your number one money moment? I know that it's been a real climb to build My Money, My Future. You've gone through various accelerators and you've raised money and for, from a, either from a business standpoint or even a personal standpoint. What would you consider to be kind of your biggest financial win to date? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know if there's bragging moments. I mean, you know, I think as for the company, there were, I'll say this, I think the bragging rights for at least the company as a, a woman of color in, in building a tech company in the sort of ecosystem of, of Silicon Valley, um, surviving as long as we have is is the win. And, you know, I think now we're at a point where we're like, okay, we get the game. We understand all of the sort of the rules and what we got to do. Um, and being able to even secure that first check, I I wouldn't have even dreamt in a million years that like, as a young girl living in Napa Valley, like that I would be able to even raise any money for a, a tech company. It just wasn't even in my wildest dreams. So I think that was a, as a real moment um, for us to be able to get angel investors and to have people say, I believe in what you're doing. And then being part of the backstage fund, I think is a real, um, win for us. I mean, it's very important for me to, um, to align myself also with what Arlen's mission is as a fund, um, and supporting, um, folks of color entrepreneurs in, in tech. Um, so that was a big one. And then I think the other piece was for me to make decisions around my retirement and say, I'm going to invest in myself and in my company. And so being able to have that opportunity to do so um, and bootstrap for as long as I did, I think was a real um, vote of confidence in myself that I was like, I have, I was able to save this money. I was able to um, sort of amass this, this investment so that I can make in myself and it's going to pay me in, you know, 10 X returns. So I think that was a real, um, opportunity for me to feel proud of what I'm doing. Yeah. Sometimes things like retirement and the future, they're just so abstract. A lot of this is kind of taking a leap of faith, right? Sometimes, especially when it comes to investing. That's right. And I would also say one of the things I noticed, and this is across like this, I would say women generally, um, we're not as we're, I wouldn't say we're risk adverse, but we're definitely more cautious. Um, and I think that that's something that, and especially in the markets, right? It's all about risk and it's risk reward. And at the end of the day, nothing is safe, even if you put your money in bonds. I mean, if you take a look at what happened with Puerto Rico and other other safe investments, I mean, things happen all the time in the markets, right? I mean, even property is not necessarily safe. It can go underwater. So you're whenever you're moving big chunks of your own money, 
it's always a risk. And so I think that we need to be more comfortable understanding risk and assessing risk for our own lives. Studies show that women are, over the long run, better investors than men. And one of yes. the thoughts behind that is because when they look at the activity in the portfolios, men are much more, on average, the ones who are making a lot of frequent moves. They kind of do it for the excitement. They like the sort of like, I don't know, the thrill of investing, whereas women were really goal oriented, like you mentioned. I always like to say that because I feel that we need all that data to further our confidence, right, in ourselves. That's right. And and I, so I, I, I think it's, I think it's great that we are cautious in our risk assessment, right? It's taking a calculate, I call it the calculated risk, not just using risk as an adrenaline rush, um, which is what you see a lot of men in the market doing for, um, for the women of color that I have been working with though, I do think there's, um, there, there's a, a little bit less understanding about how risk, what is risk? What does that mean in the financial markets? And so, for example, I've, I've seen a lot of women who have put their money pretty much just sitting in cash inside an investment account. Right. And I'm like, oh, OK, because there and I was like, well, but yes, it can sit there. But you also wanted to make some money. And, the, and here's some strategies to do that right? That's still safe enough, right? And again, you know, it's really for people to get a better understanding of what does that risk assessment mean for you? Our sponsor, Chase, is curious to ask guests, what is one thing you wish you had learned about money when you graduated from college? Is there a lesson that you wish that someone had told you or something that could have prepared you better for your financial life in that moment? Oh yeah. <laughs> There's so many things. Um, you know, I knew it, it's like, you know, you have to pay it back, but I don't think that there is a really good exit program. Right. And I, and I think that would have been very helpful for me. Like Nate, and, and we've been actually talking to some schools about this and, and supporting a, almost like a class that happens your last semester to mm-hmm. really go over how you can start to, to look at your loans and what does repayment look like? What does forbearance look like? What is that? What are all of the terms? I mean, because so much of this is understanding the terminology, right? Um, refi, you know, the, the forbearance and all of these things that most people don't understand. I did. I definitely did not understand. I didn't understand that my loans were in many different places, right? So you got some federal loans, you got private loans. Like I didn't understand sort of the, the weight of it really. I kind of just knew I was like, okay, I got to get a job and I got to start paying these back. Um, so a, I think a, a more formal approach that breaks down the actual sort of process of paying back your loans and what that looks like over time is really important. I think that this needs to be institutionalized at colleges and universities because if you are promoting something like a student loan to your graduates and then not educating them as they leave school to be able to be responsible with these loans, that, you know, that that's I think you have some responsibility there because uh, and I think and I think you know heads are rolling there are schools that are um, in a lot of heat because they're, um, you know, they're indebting a lot of their students and then not, not getting, not help at the very minimum, not really helping them with job placement 
to be able to make the money to pay back the loans. But I think just something like you said, just a simple like certificate program or it's a, it's a one credit requirement that, right. you know, I had to like take a bunch of stupid requirements at my college that aren't servicing me now, but I would have loved to have known more about budgeting and just like how banking works and what comes out of my paycheck every month or every week. And those basics, I think that you only learn in the school of hard knocks. Right. Exactly. Why not learn it at the institution where you're actually getting into a lot of debt? (laughs) Right. I mean, and this would be, again, it's an easy exit requirement. And this is something that is totally doable um, and not that complicated. Um, And I think that's the key thing that, especially with student loans, um, it is overwhelming because there are so many players, especially if you have multiple loans. Exactly. All right. Let's do some so many, so money, fill in the blanks, Ramona. This is where I start a sentence and then you just finish it. Okay. All right. One thing I like to spend on that makes my life easier or better is. Oh, I'm a lift girl. That's my guilty pleasure. Um, And I don't go get my nails done. I don't really get like my waxing done. I do everything at home because I, when I'm tired and I'm like, need to go home, I need to go home. You mean you don't enjoy the subway commute? I don't understand what is wrong with you. It's, that it's a, I, I consider it part of my mental health like plan. Now, now, I don't go crazy, but like I'm definitely like, no, that's where if I'm going to spend and splurge, it's going to be like, I got to go home. All right. Although recently I ris- I've discovered Lyft Pool. I mean, and I've always known it existed, but I was a little hesitant to use it. But often, oh, really? I, yeah, but when I use it, it's often me just riding in the car. Oh yeah. I use the pool all the time. I don't care that I'm, even if it takes me an hour, as long as I'm like sitting and I'm like, okay, I know I'm just going to go home. I don't have to deal with the subway. <laughs> and you can work on your laptop or your phone yeah. or whatever. So it's multi, exactly. it's effective. Okay. When I donate, I like to give to blank because. Oh, this is a good one. I don't, I, one, I don't really donate anymore because I'm putting my money where my mouth is and I invest in equity crowdfunding to support entrepreneurs. Fantastic. Wow. All right. And last but not least, I'm Ramona Ortega. I'm so money because. I'm Ramona Ortega and I'm so money because I've made lots of money mistakes. I've learned from them. And then I created a company to help other people not make those mistakes. Like you said, you can always improve your life financially. There's always another day. Yes. There's always a reset. There's always a reset. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to make that my money mantra for the week. There's always (laughs) a reset. Ramona, thank you so much for the work that you do, for the impact that you're making. You're changing lives in a really important way. And we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. I appreciate getting on the show. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much to Ramona for joining us. Visit midineromifuturo.com or you can follow her on Twitter at dinero underscore diva and on Instagram at mymoneymyfuture. All this information is at somoneypodcast.com where you can listen to the episode and share it. You can also send me a question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh by either leaving a voicemail or a text by clicking on Ask Farnoosh. Also follow me on Instagram, direct a message me there, your question or your interest in co-hosting. I am still looking for Friday co-hosts. Don't be shy. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I hope your day is so money.